Man, I, honestly, I'm going to be honest. I thought that I was already on. And I was like, man, this is... Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so our, our mission is to empower men and women in urban inner city communities with the intellectual, social, and financial capital to start businesses that glorify God and serve their neighbors. So it's really about, it's a ministry, it's an out, outpouring of what we see that God owns everything, including business. And so how do we empower men and women who already have the business acumen to be able to be more of who God calls them to be? And so one of the ways that we do that is we partner with churches and, and we have a, a ton of volunteers and people that are in business that actually help to be able to do the mission and work, work, walk with us as we work in mission uh, supporting entrepreneurs and communities. And so if that's you, if you're a business person, whatever you are, whatever you do, we'd love to have you sign up if you're interested, if, if this is interesting to you. Um, we have a website, hustlephx.com, uh, H-U-S-T-L-E-P-H-X.com. And uh, if you want to learn more about it, you can. I'm not going to talk too much more about it because we're going to talk about James today. So if you can open your Bibles to James, and we're in chapter 2. And... Uh, and so in James, I'm not going to preach yet, but I, what I want to do is I want to pray. And uh, Kyle said we can't pray enough. Let me just pray for us. And I want to read the scripture first and then pray. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James 2. And we're going to go, we're in 1 through 13. If you have your Bible, say amen. 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 If you don't have your Bible, don't say anything. We'll get, just look on your neighbor, to your neighbor next to you. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm reading it. If you're with me, I'm here. James 2, 1 through 13, we are in the ESV, and it says, the scripture reads, it says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say... Can you hear me? All right, good. Amen. All right, so <laughs> I'm at verse, let's see, I started, and it says, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Which he has promised to, to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme or the honorable name in which you were called? If you really fulfill your royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, if you are committing sin and are convicted by the laws as transgressors, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For who who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy 
to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this word. God, I thank you for this wisdom that James imparts to us and to the church. And God, I pray that as I begin to speak, God, I pray that you speak to me, through me, and to me, Lord. But also, God, I pray that I may decrease and you may increase. Whereas the words that come out of my mouth, God, is not about just me, God, but it's about you and making your name famous. God, I pray that as we uh, conclude here today, God, that we are inspired, God, we are filled, and God, we, are, we go and take action, because James is a book of action, and we not just hear this word, God, but we apply it, and we take action in our lives, God. We love you, and we praise you, and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 And so as we, as we think about James, um, and I just want to give a little bit of background James is addressing the Jewish people, right? So he's addressing the Jewish people. And when we see James, James is a, is a wisdom form of communication, right? Like we have different types of, uh, uh, God has different types of ways that he communicates. And, and through James, this is a, a wisdom form of communicating a letter, a this letter to the church. But see, in the Old Testament, we see that the whole people, the, the entire people of God was given wisdom, and primarily uh, through the book of Proverbs, right? But we see this, this wisdom given to the, to the Old Testament people as a cultural community, and it's meant to base their lives on the creation order, right? Like, that's what wisdom liter- literature is about, to base our lives on the creation order. But when we think about wisdom literature as it relates to the Old and New Testament, again, we are trying to model what the creation wants us to to live like, to live our lives out of. And so when we think about wisdom from an Old Testament perspective, again, we talk about the book of Proverbs, but wisdom in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we look at the book of James, updated in Christ. But how does wisdom literature work? And we're going to practice this today a little bit. How does wisdom literature work? It's not necessarily we read it like one letter. What we do with wisdom, when we think about wisdom, think about your grandmother, your aunt, or whoever imparts wisdom to you. Right? They don't just talk to you and they just keep talking. They allow you to stop and think about it. And so when we go through the James, the book of James, we should be stopping. We should be thinking. We should think through our situation, think through our context, and say, listen, how does this particular passage apply to me in my life right now in Phoenix in 2020 right here, right now? Amen? Amen. And so when we think about wisdom, again, the wisdom that James is talking about is really different from Paul. Where Paul really focuses on wisdom, or, or, or when Paul talks about the, and emphasizes the purpose of faith, he's saying, listen, the purpose of faith is to bring salvation. Where James is emphasizing the results of faith, and that's a changed life. See, James was writing to a people of God living in the Roman Empire, and he really highlights the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of our, our world. Right? So, so when we think about the wisdom of God, like God wants us to live in a certain way, but then the wisdom of our world, our culture, is kind of where we go. We kind of, we kind of drift into the wisdom of our world, even when we don't feel like it, even when we, think, we don't think we are. But see, here's the deal. Many of us understand that there's a conventional wisdom of our world 
But God wants us to live as a counter-cultural community. Say that once for me. Counter-cultural community. That's how God wants. That's how God wants us to live. As a counter-cultural community. We should look different, amen. So in the book of James, again, he wants us to think about the wisdom of our culture that everyone assumes is right, and it challenges. Think about it. Read it. And so if we think about James, we, we look at the book, and, and, I, and I just want to give this context a little bit, then we'll go into James 2, and we'll dive a little bit deeper. But, but if I were to sum up James in five chapters, chapter 1 is about avoiding trials. Chapter 2 is about giving preference to those who can help you. Chapter 3 is about promoting yourself by what you say. Chapter 4 is about demanding your rights. And chapter 5, I like, to, I like to call that get your money. Right? It's about grabbing all the money that you can. But we're focusing on chapter 2 today. And chapter 2 is, is about favoritism. And it's about favoritism towards the wealthy. Hey, man, nobody's done that, right? Don't raise your hand. Favoritism is just wrong, right, to anybody. But when we think about James, favoritism is wrong because it's it's inconsistent with Christ's teaching. It results from evil thoughts. It insults people made in God's image. It's a byproduct of selfish motives. It goes against the biblical definition of love. It shows a lack of mercy to the less fortunate. It's hypocritical and it's downright a sin. Man. See, when we, when, we, when we think about favoritism, when we think about favoritism, especially to the wealthy, it's an issue of the heart. And when, I, when I'm talking about heart, I'm not talking about this touchy-feeling thing or the affections. I'm not talking about this thing that we have that's beating inside of us. I'm talking about our character. When we show favoritism, we are showing our real and true character. In fact, in Luke 6, 45, it says, the good man brings good things out of the, out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things good out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And so when the Bible talks about the heart. It talks about this this whole person. It talks about the mind, how we think, our worldview. It talks about the will, like what are our affections? What are the things we care about? And it also talks about our will, actions we take. Amen? And so when we think about James, I, 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 I look at favoritism and, and as I was reading this passage, I was like, well, favoritism does a few things. It reveals our affections, what we care about. Favoritism reveals our, our worldview, how we think. And then favoritism impacts our actions, what we do. So affections, what we care about. Worldview, how we think. Actions, what we do. Amen. So, 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 so favoritism reveals our deepest emotions, our affections. 
See, when, when, we, when we show favoritism to the wealthy, we are revealing what we value, what we care about. See, here's the deal. If we're really honest, the things that we really care about is our acceptance and our advancement. Let's just be honest. I, I, I used to tell people, let's just keep it 100. Right? I'm keeping it 100. Advancement and acceptance. See, now, February is Black History Month, and I think, yeah, I'm African-American. <laughs> and, 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 and so, one of the things about, and I don't know if you know this, this, this may be new to you, this may be new news, but we celebrate our history in America. And, and, and African-Americans have a deep, long history in this country. Amen? Amen. And so we, we think about historically in America, when we celebrate Black History Month, we also look back into a lot of the things that, that, that African-Americans experience, especially racism. Essentially, racism is favoritism towards another race, honestly. Let's just, let, I mean, but James talked about it. But, uh, but not only have I personally experienced racism, again, I'm talking about favoritism reveals our deepest emotions, but also I like to hear real stories from people. Now, my grandfather, he's in his 80s. My grandfather grew up in the South. Now, he's called what you call a Creole, right? And so he's very light-skinned. But growing up in the South, he, he used to tell me he, because who, he was who he was, he only got an eighth-grade education. But he's, he, you know, he would tell, I remember he came over this past Christmas and we, he was kind of sitting down at the table with my family and we were just talking. He was telling stories because I love, if you have older folks in your life, and I don't see too many older folks in here, <laughs> but, but young people, listen to the stories, right? Listen to the stories because you can learn so much. And so we were sitting down and I was just listening to my uh, grandfather talked and he was telling stories about Jim Crow and he was talking about how he used to go to the white water fountain and the black water fountain. If you went to the white water fountain, you could literally lose your life from drinking from a white water fountain as a, a black man. But I remember something that really struck me when he was talking. He was talking about his experience in church and how in church they wouldn't let African-Americans or black people sit wherever they wanted to sit. They only could sit in the back of the church. And so he had to sit in the back of the church, not only because of what he looked like, but also because he was poor. And James is dealing with this same issue in James 2. If you read it, let's, let's, get, let's go back to the scripture. And it says, my, my father, again, my grandfather's situation is what James was addressing in the church. And it says, and James 2, 1, and, and your version doesn't say this, but it, it says this in the New Living Translation. And I wrote it down because it was so, like, alarming to me when James was talking to the church. And he said, he says, in, in the New Living Translation, is James 2, 1, it says, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people more than others? I should just stop right there, pick up my Bible, we can walk out right there. Drop the mic. And I got the mic, I might drop it in this. I'm going to read it again. New Living Translation says, how? How? 
can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people more than others? And then he goes on to say in James 2, um, 2, 2 through 4, and I'll read it again. And it says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes, clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, i.e. my grandfather couldn't sit in that good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit in the back or you sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So when I, when, I, when I think about this scripture, I think we are all guilty of this. Again, raise your hand if you've done this. All of our hands, we've all done it. I've done it. You've done it. We have done this. We have shown favoritism to other people because they were wealthy. Or because they had something that we think we needed to have. Amen? Amen. And James is speaking to the church and he says, listen, you have wrong motives if you treat people this way. Wrong motives. Doesn't come from Christ. It comes from the pit of living hell that divides people, keeps people separated. Favoritism, discrimination, that is from the pit of hell. Amen? Amen. And so if we, we think about it today in the church in the 21st century, we still operate within this paradigm. When we think about American evangelicalism, churches of our day, sometimes our deepest emotions and affections as regards to favoritism are based on two things. Right theology and money. If you look at our churches, if you look at the leadership in our churches, the people that we choose to lead, that we want leading the other people, the people that are on our elder team, the people who lead our prayer teams, and churches all across America, two things where we show favoritism as the American church. Do you have the right theology? Do you understand the Bible? Which is a good thing, amen? And do you have a lot of money? Good thing. Money's not bad. Don't hear me saying that. But if those are the things that we're using to choose our leaders to lead us and to give front seats to the people in church or to give them a special seat at our table, our motives are wrong. And James is saying, this is not how, should we, have, how we should live our lives. We should live our lives as a countercultural community, being sober-minded, self-controlled, welcoming the poor into our homes, into our church services, into our lives. Welcome people that are different than us into our families. And so we, we think about it, I'm, and I guess I want you to, I want to ask the question to you, because I told you that James is wisdom literature. How do you treat the poor in your church? How do you treat the poor in Phoenix Bible Church? How do you treat the poor in your own life? Are you sacrificing 
Or do you turn your nose away or walk away as, you don't, as they are invisible and you don't see them? See, see, how we treat the poor by, in our churches and our lives reveals our worldview. It reveals, it reveals how we think about the world. Many of us operate as, as if people that are, have less education or money, they have nothing to offer us. See, this is a faulty worldview, and many of us operate with this worldview, and this is not biblical. James is telling us it's not biblical. And so we think about favoritism as, as revealing and unleashing our deepest emotions and our affections. But favoritism also reveals our worldview. Again, we're talking about a man's character. It reveals our worldview, how we think and how we engage the world. See, when we, when we show favoritism to the wealthy and disdain for the poor, we are revealing to others in the situation what we believe about the world, our worldview. Everybody say worldview. worldview. Most of us operate with a faulty worldview. As if people that are poor, people that are different, people that are less fortunate have nothing to offer us. Amen? I got two amens on that. It's okay. When I, when I, when I think about uh, stories as it relates to that, I think about when I think about worldview, we had some friends. My wife and I, when we were in our early 20s, we had some really good friends. Like, we did everything with these friends, right? But, our, but we quickly noticed that our friends, they, 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 they were, like, essential. Like, you ever met people that are, like, that are like almost greedy for success? And it's a difference. Because, like, 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 as Christians, we should be excellent. We should be successful, right? Just because something is Christian doesn't need to be bad. It needs to be excellent, if we're Christians in the world. Amen? Amen. Okay, I got two man mans on that. All right. I'll, I won't be doing business with the people that didn't say it. Anyway. <laughs> but, 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 but we had some friends that were greedy for success. And we did everything with them. We go out to eat with them. We, you know, the, one of the ladies was at my, the, the feet of my wife's bed as she was having our first daughter. All these things. But, but it quickly turned because... Our friends were like, you know what? Um, essentially, they told us in so many words, we want to start hanging out with this other couple, older couple. They had a lot bit more money. We want to we want to start hanging out with them because we believe if we hang out with them, we can advance in our careers and meet more people and meet different types of people. So they kind of they just pushed us to the side, right? Now we're still friends with them. We still love them. I mean. But again, when you think about it, like their worldview, they were operating out of a faulty worldview as if here, I'm only going to befriend somebody if they, I can get something from them or if they can do something for me. Amen. And here's the deal. Many of us are guilty of this same thing. Right. We need to look internally when this happens to us. And James, again, he deals with it. James talks about it, but he asks it, he, he deals with it through questioning. So if we look at verses 2, 5, he says James is asking a question. Again, challenging the, the believer's worldview. And he says in the scriptures, he says in, in verse 5, he says, listen, my beloved brothers. And I don't know if I would have called these brothers beloved, but I was, he just said beloved. Okay, 
He loved him. <laughs> he said, hey, listen, has God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Question. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones aren't the ones basically saying are not the rich ones are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Rhetorical. Questioning the worldview. And then he asks him another question. He says, listen, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Again, questioning their worldview. Amen? And so if we, if we look this, if we, if we look at this, we see that worldview impacts everything. Everybody say everything. everything. It impacts everything. It impacts how we do church. In fact, I always ask this question sometimes because, listen, I, I just ask deep questions to myself. I ask them to God. I ask them to people. People know me as asking a lot of questions. I know it gets irritating for a lot of people. <laughs> But you know what? The reason why I did it, because I remember when I was five years old, seven, maybe six, maybe seven. That blurred, that time blurred sometimes. <laughs> five to seven. I remember sitting in the car with my mom, and she says, you know what? Never be afraid to ask questions. Even when people think they're stupid questions, ask them. So that's what I do. I ask questions. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a question in a minute. Question. Have you ever wondered why Sunday is the most segregated day of the week? asking you a question. Like, here's the deal. Well, sometimes I think about the power of the cross, how it just obliterated all division. But on Sunday, the very people that God, the very people that understand God's word, that understand the power of the cross to be cross-cultural, to love one another, to love my neighbor, to serve the poor. Sometimes we are the hardest to get to actually do those things. I got one yes. It's okay. We just talking. We family. There's a guy named Donald McGavern. We're talking about, again, worldview, how it can shape the church, shape us. There's a guy named Donald McGavern. Donald McGavern, he's a missiologist, a church planner. And he, he created this thing called the homogeneous unit principle. And what it says is that if you want to plant a successful church and you want your ministry to grow, you need to target people who are essentially the same. They look the same. They act the same. They dress the same. They like the same coffee. They go to the same places for sports and schools. I'm not going to ask you to look around. But what I'm saying is, most churches adopted this way of thinking. And this is, in America, how many churches continue to be planted through this homogeneous unit principle. Because you can get your church growing faster, it can move quicker. But again, this worldview has split a lot of people. Because when it comes to wanting to have real conversation, when it comes to wanting to know my neighbor, when it comes to wanting to connect with people and sit down with people, I don't know you and I don't trust you, although we say we're Christians, because we don't break bread together. We don't worship together. Amen? Amen? Amen. 
And so, and so this worldview can shape how we do church, how we do everything. So I want to ask you, and I'm going to give your, you a second. I want, to tell, I want you to tell your own story. We, we're just going to get 30. I don't even know if we have time for that. I wanted to do this. We can't do it today. It's okay. But I wanted to ask you, what is your worldview towards poor people or the people that do not look like you? How do you treat them? Because this is what James is dealing with with the church. He's dealing with these things, these hard things. And believe me, I struggle with it, you struggle with it, we all struggle with it. But we only can, the only way we can even press into it is through the Holy Spirit. Right? And so, and so, and so as we, we think about these things, we need to challenge the worldview that the kingdom diversity is not possible. We need to challenge the worldview that just because you don't look like me, or just because we don't attend the same church or the same school, or we're not from the same background, that we can't walk with one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so if we think about our, our deepest affections, if we think about our worldview, it impacts our action, how we take action in the world. Favoritism impacts our actions or our will. Amen? And so if we think about it, favoritism forces us to take action, either positive or negative. But when we, when we show favoritism, we are taking action. I remember I was an intern at this church, and, and, uh, and, and I was training to become a pastor. And my wife and I, my family, we, you know, we had younger kids, but I... I never, like, see, I grew up in an African-American church, and again, again, but, but there was this warmth when you walk in, I don't care who you are, when you walk into a, that church, the church I grew up, they're going to give you a cookie, some coffee, they're going to feed you, right, you're going to go to the house after, and you can't say no to the food that's given to you, right? They might, they might whoop you if you, I'm joking, you're grown, <laughs> you're a grown person, I'm joking, <laughs> But, but, but I, I, we went to this church, um, and I've never uh, uh, walked into a church where no one talked to us. For the first couple months, no one talked to us. When you walk in, it was like this cold feeling. Like, everybody was just stark and stoic. And I was like, I was like maybe, maybe this is the new type of Christianity, where you don't talk to anybody when you walk in church. <laughs> but I just... Ushers, please just greet people. Just say, hi, we love you, even if you don't mean it. But anyway, <laughs> so, so, but, but here's the deal. Like, like I, I, I remember that, that, that but, but, they would, but after church, like, I would, while we would kind of stand around, and certain people, like, everyone seemed to be connecting with people. You know, you kind of get in. You know, I know you've never done this. I've have. Well, you've been the outsider. You're trying to pop into one of the groups, and people are looking like, why are you even here? <laughs> right? That's favoritism, right, in church because we, we create our little cliques. Now, if you have a clique here at Phoenix Bible Church, I'm not trying to blow your clique up. I'm just saying that's favoritism. <laughs> that's favoritism. And that's not loving your neighbor because you're not inviting your neighbor into your space, into your world. Amen? 
And James has something to say about that in verse 8. He says, listen, he said, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Love your neighbor as you want to be loved. So if you want to be, get the cold shoulder and have people look at you like, why are you even here? Then treat people that way. But I guarantee you, you don't want to be treated that way. Nobody does. Amen. But he also says this, he says, listen, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So he's saying, listen, basically, and Isaiah 58 has something to say about this too. You can do all the things right as a Christian, right? Give your tithes. You can act like you love people. You know, sometimes we, hey, how you doing? And that's okay. You can even come to Sunday school. Every time the churches open their door, you could be here to serve. But if you're showing favoritism and are not inviting people in, you are a transgressor of the law. Bottom line. And so he's saying, listen, so he's saying in this, in this particular passage, he's saying, listen, loving God and loving your neighbor is action. That's action. We have to do it. If, we show, if we're showing favoritism, it's saying, I truly do not love my neighbor. But again, in the church I was working with, uh, and maybe it was some of the congregants couldn't, I mean, like, I remember some of the congregants couldn't even invite us over for a cookie. I, want, I just wanted a cookie. <laughs> we couldn't even get that invite because of favoritism. So beware of that. So we, if we think about it, look, like we, I talked about the churches that are cliquish. <laughs> I would challenge you. Most people only want to hang out with people that you feel like you can benefit from. Stop hanging out with people in your church that you only think you could benefit from. Start hanging with the people that you don't feel like you could benefit from. Challenge the status quo. Challenge the wisdom of our world that says just befriend this person, just be in community with this person because they have something to give or get from you. Hang with folks that are different. Not in a patronizing way, but in a mutual beneficial way. But see, the, the only way that we can do this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the power of the Holy Spirit helps us take action. Because the wisdom of this world wants us to stay in our little kind of cocoon, right? The wisdom of this world says be safe. Be with people that are like you. Don't take risks. Don't pray for that person that God asked you to pray for when you're walking down the street. Don't give to that person because you know what? You know, you got bills to pay and you don't have enough to give to that person. Right? Don't serve at the church, right? You got you're too busy. You got too much going on. 
Don't reach out to that family that's walking in that you know that are new, that you know that feels uncomfortable, but, but you just say, you know what, I'm going to just keep looking past them. See, a wisdom of our world, that's what it tells us to do. But if we're living in the spirit, we take action. Everybody say, take action. So I have a question for you, and I would love you to write this down. What does it mean for you to take actionable steps to love your neighbor at Phoenix Bible Church? I'll ask it a different different way. What does it mean for you to take actionable steps to love your neighbor at work? What does it take for you to take actionable steps to love your neighbor in your neighborhood? Where God has placed you, we call it theology of place. Amen? Amen. So I grow, as I get to the conclusion, I want to ask you a question again. Or a statement. When you show favoritism, it reveals the heart. When you show favoritism, it reveals who you really are. When I show favoritism, it reveals who I really am. And so, again, favoritism reveals our deepest affections, our emotions, how we feel. Favoritism reveals our worldview, how we think. And favoritism impacts our actions, what we do. But again, James, throughout this book, is pressing into us and saying, we need to live a countercultural lifestyle. The world wants us to live in a certain way. The world says to live in a way that is acceptable. But to live for God, to live in a countercultural way truly takes again the Holy Spirit. See, 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 here's the deal. Today the world thinks that Christians are extremely hypocritical. I know I'm, I'm sure some of you now, now can't even tell people you're Christians at work. They think you're a hypocrite. And why? Well, because traditionally the American evangelism, we think about right theology and money. We think about the issues of uh, abortion and gay marriage but are really at the top of issues that we, that we press into, which are good, and God has a lot to say about it. But God also has a lot to say about the things that James is talking about, issues related to the poor, issues related to the marginalized. In American Christianity, sometimes we have been silent to the issues that are related to the poor and the marginalized. We don't want to deal with it. It's too close to home. I had a pastor tell me, he said, you know what, why, you know why I don't deal with it? It's because I have to, because, because the way our country is shaped, I would have to rethink and redo everything that I've lived for up to this point and question it. Why are things this way? Why did it end up this way? But again, as Christians, if we live as a culture, countercultural community, we have to press into that. And then be a part of God. That's what mission is. Being a part of God's hands and feet to bring restoration to places that are broken. Amen? 
And so if God calls us to worship him in spirit and truth, it can't be just the issues that are safe. We also have to deal with what James is talking about. How are we treating the poor and the marginalized? Amen? And so we think about this, the biblical story. The biblical story is a, is a love narrative. From Genesis to Revelation, when you read the story, the arc of the story is that God wants to, us to be in relationship with him. And he loves us so much that he'll do anything, including death, to be with us. But a part of favoritism is something that the Israelites struggled with. If you understand the Old Testament, the Israelites kept, kept struggling with how do we treat the other, the poor. They wanted everything for themselves. And so God said, okay, I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to put you in exile because you failed to take care of the poor. This is a message that is not new. This is from Genesis to Revelation. The things that James is talking about on how we should live as a Christian community is the same thing. It's God's heart. And we think about God's heart. When, you, when we think about the heart and the character of our, of our own selves, when we understand God's heart, we understand Luke 4, 18 through 19. When Jesus rolls out the scroll, he says, I came for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the soldier. Those are the people. And so if we, if we really, if our, if our deepest affection is to love God and to press in to who God made us to be, the things that James is talking about in 2, 1 through 13, how we treat the poor is so important to God. And so again, when we think about our deepest affection, that God's deepest affection is love. He wants to love us. He wants us to be with us for him forever. When we think about God's worldview, he sees us as perfect. When he thinks about us, he sees us as perfect. When we think about, when we think about, when we think about um, God's actions, well, we all know the story. He went to the cross. And not only died, did he die for you and me, he died for the entire creation. Amen. So the entire cosmos, the entire way we interact with the world, whether it be humans, whether it be animals, whether it be the sea, whether it be no more earthquakes, no more death, he's restoring everything Amen. to the way it's supposed to be. And so how we interact, God's heart, it's, it's, it's God's heart reveals, God reveals his heart. And he has favoritism. His chosen people. Yes. He has favoritism because his deepest affections is us. He shows favoritism because his worldview is that he wants us to be with him and love us forever. And he sees us as perfect. And he shows favoritism in actions. Well, he went to the cross for us. And then rose again so we can experience life. And so we... We don't have to be inauthentic, but we can show favoritism to God's people. Because of the cross, we can truly love people for who they are because Christ loved us for who we really are. 
So as I end, I want to end with the question. Where's your heart? Where's your affection? What is your worldview? And how do you take action? Because that's, God's going to reveal that to you. And pray that God reveals it to you right now. So before I, before I pray, I want us to get in groups of two or three and just pray for God to reveal where our heart is. And then I'll close us in prayer. So two or three, just for, for 90 seconds, praying for where God has Father God, we thank you for this evening or this morning. God, we thank you for your son. God, we thank you for your son dying on the cross and restoring our hearts, restoring our minds, God, restoring our soul so that we can live with you forever. God, we pray that on this issue of how we treat midst, in our church, in our lives. God, I pray that you can reveal our hearts to us. Help us to love and live and lead like you. Help us to adopt your ways. But more importantly, God, help us to be together, loving one another, blessing one another, living for sacrificing for one another, helping one another, praying for one another, feeding for one another. God, this, when you turn on the news, God, in our American culture today, this issue is so pervasive in our world. And God, I pray that as Christians, people will be coming to know you, not by just our words, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us your word to digest, to understand. God, I pray that we can take action and live this word out as a culture, cultural community.